We're diving deep on the NHL. It's returned to the Olympics, plans for expansion, and what we've learned about the league this year with ESPN's Emily Kaplan. Plus, Tiger Woods revealed his next big steps, and we have good news about the Oakland A's. It's Wednesday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you, especially Rachel. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Tiger Woods announced his anticipated deal with TaylorMade on Tuesday, opening a new chapter in his storied career. Woods left Nike after 27 years. It's believed he made over half a billion dollars from the swoosh. He is now aligning with a brand he can call his own. Woods will reportedly own equity in a new company under TaylorMade as part of the deal. The company will be called Sunday Red, three words, with a brush-drawn tiger against a red background as its logo. The name is derived from Woods' practice of wearing red on Sundays. Sunday Red will have a separate headquarters from TaylorMade, though they will be near each other in Southern California. The new company will launch its first apparel line on May 1st. While Woods will be the face of a new brand because of what he's done as a player, he's not quite done competing with the best golfers in the world. Wood hopes to play in one tournament per month, starting with the Genesis Invitational, which begins on Thursday and carries a $20 million prize pool. He'll be playing for a piece of that purse, but also to show what he can do in his signature color and for his nascent brand. NBC Sports California hired Jenny Kavnar to be the lead play-by-play announcer of the Oakland A's. Kavnar becomes the first female lead play-by-play announcer in MLB history. Kavnar's resume stacks up with all but the most veteran announcers. She has been a backup play-by-play announcer and pre- and post-game show host for the Colorado Rockies for the last 12 years. Prior to that, she covered the Padres for five years as a reporter and anchor. She's also frequently on MLB Network Radio and covers college basketball on FS1 and Pac-12 Networks. She has won five Emmys and was named Colorado Sportscaster of the Year in 2021. She will be drawing on that wealth of experience to be the voice of a team playing out one of these stranger seasons in recent memory. The team will play what is likely their last season in Oakland, and there's already a fan protest planned for opening day. The team still doesn't know where it's playing next year and has yet to announce funding plans or designs for its new stadium. They won't be competitive after years of disinvestment in the roster, and as you might have heard last week on this show, the mayor of Las Vegas, where the A's are supposed to land in 2028, thinks the team should stay in Oakland. Their longtime announcer, Glenn Kuyper, was let go in the middle of last season after uttering a racial slur during a broadcast. Amid all that, Kavner's hiring represents a bright spot in the clouds for this unmoored team. Speaking of AL teams not expected to contend, the Kansas City Royals laid out plans and slightly futuristic renderings for a new ballpark on Tuesday in the city's Crossroads District at the site of the old Kansas City Star printing press. The announcement is both pretty standard practice for a team with an ambitious new project and essentially a campaign rally for a sales tax. The Royals and Chiefs have said that they will stay in Jackson County if voters approve the extension of a 3-8 sales tax that has been in place since 2006. The funds from that would be used to renovate Arrowhead Stadium for the Super Bowl champions and help fund the Royals' new stadium. The vote on the sales tax was initially vetoed by County Commissioner Frank White Jr., and yes, that's the same Frank White Jr. who played for the Royals for 18 seasons, making five all-star teams. In his veto message, White said that the funding should be tied to a binding long-term commitment to the area and said the deal was bad for taxpayers. White's colleagues overruled his veto, and the vote will now be in April. As all this MLB news suggests, baseball season is officially back. 18 teams are holding their first spring training workouts today. Up next, I spoke to ESPN's Emily Kaplan. She'll be working the sidelines at this weekend's outdoor series, and we also discussed the state of the NHL, the unprecedented coaching turnover we've seen this year, when and where the league might expand, and what we've learned about the league this year from how it's managed two difficult situations. Really enjoyed our conversation, and that's coming up next.
Very excited to be joined now by Emily Kaplan, ESPN NHL reporter. Welcome, Emily. Thank you, Owen. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, great to have you back on. So we're a little over halfway through the NHL regular season. What's been the story of this season for you so far? The season's a soap opera. <laughs> um, I think that this is a season that I've covered in the NHL that just has the most ups, downs, the swings. There have been 13 head coaches that have been fired since the end of last season, which is an insane amount of turnover. Um, a couple different reasons for that. It's just the parity is so strong in the league. Any team feels like they can win, and it's really hard to win, which creates these pressure situations. But you get a team like Edmonton, who everyone is saying they were Stanley Cup favorites, and holy cow, they are flailing completely, have to fire their coach. And then suddenly you blink an eye, and they're about to set the NHL record for a win streak, which they did not do. But it was a really exciting game that we covered in Vegas. Uh, you have a team like St. Louis. I mean, I covered Craig Berube's last game uh, as a coach there, and we were all shocked by the time we got back to the hotel that night after covering the game because we said, we know that the Blues aren't in the best situation, but what a drastic measure. Like, we couldn't believe it that night. So all of these ups and downs, it just feels like a soap opera. And the regular season has been pretty juicy for storylines. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Devils fan. And they were at least division favorites or, you know, one of co-favorites maybe going into the year. And now they're not even in a playoff spot. And I think a lot of fans want to get rid of the coach, but they just signed him to an extension. So maybe too awkward for the moment. Um, we have got the uh, the stadium series coming up this weekend. So Devils Flyers on Saturday, Rangers Islanders on Sunday, both at MetLife Stadium. Also, we've got an hour-long Jonas Brothers concert before the Devils game. Should we be thinking of this? as just, um, you know, two more in the long line of outdoor NHL games, or is this something different? You know, I don't know if it's necessarily something different because we've had so many outdoor games that we know what it expects. Like we know that the sight lines are going to be different. There's always the glare on the ice. Holy cow, it's so cold out and this is different. At the same time, each one feels special to the players that get to play in it, the coaches, the staffs, and the fans that get to be there because it's a celebration of their local market. I'm pretty excited because I grew up in Jersey. If you live, know New Jersey, you know there's North Jersey and South Jersey specifically North Jersey, uh, where this team is taking place. And it's going to be a celebration of all things New Jersey. Like, I know what we're doing for our tees to promote the game, and it's just so authentic. Um, and I think the players are really just going to cherish those moments. Like, you talk to them, and this regular season can be such a grind. It's 82 games. We all get super pumped up for the beginning of the season. We have, like, a couple benchmarks, like the All-Star game, which we just had in Toronto, and trade deadline. And then it's just a grind to get to the playoffs, which is the best playoffs in sports. But the rest of the season, it's like, okay, you get on a play and you go play an arena, you do it again. And this is always the one that the guys circle on the calendar. They get to share it with their families. They get those special moments that they'll remember for the rest of their careers. And so it, for me, it's a privilege to be able to cover that game. It just has that extra energy, that extra juice that a regular season game doesn't always have. So in that way, it's different. And then the NHL does a good job of just bringing extra flair. Like they did a really great job at All-Star Game, incorporating some very relevant celebrities. And the Jonas Brothers, I mean, not specifically my favorite band. I I know my little sister just saw them at Yankee Stadium and said it was like the most epic night of her career. She was crying. So they're also authentically Jersey. And I think it'll be a fun time. We talked about last year about the logistical challenges of being a sideline reporter, you know, squeezing between people holding multiple beers as you're trying to interview a coach. Do, is this going to be easier or harder for you, you think, doing this outdoors at a football stadium? 
I think the only element that really changes is that it's freaking cold outside. You know, we did the one in Raleigh last year and that was the warm weather climate. And we all assumed it's going to be fine. Like we're here, we're in North Carolina. It's like a college football SCCA or really ACC vibe. And I froze my butt off. I was so cold by the end of that game. It just drops. And so we keep monitoring what uh, real degrees is going to feel. And I know it's what sideline football reporters deal with all the time. It's just a little different for me. So I think... Just that element will be different. But other than that, I just want to treat it like a regular game, but find those special moments and details that make it unique, what the players have to do to adapt and bring those moments to the audience. Yeah. And do you think, are you just coming at it as like, you'll kind of see those moments as they come? Or is there anything you're anticipating? of like, I know I'm going to hit on these two or three things. Yeah, I mean, just the teams themselves, I, I find so fascinating. They all have their distinct personalities. I'm curious, like Lou Lamarillo runs the New York Islanders, and there's nobody who has a more specific set of ways than Lou, who is now in his 80s. He doesn't look it, doesn't act it, but um, he doesn't use the road uh, visiting. There's always neutral equipment guys at every arena, and he declines that. So I'm just curious, like, how do the Islanders show up at this event, and how does it look different than when the New York Rangers show up at this event? And just finding those little moments of each team, each player that gets to come out here and what it means to each player. Uh, so I'll be making calls this week and trying to find those stories to share with our audience. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned that, if you, I feel like if you look at a picture of Lou Lamorello from 20 years ago, it's like he's exactly the same guy right now. Um, the NHL is going back to the Olympics in 2026 and 2030. And when I think about this, is I'm still chewing on the 12-year gap we'll have between then and the last time in 2014. I get that this kind of sucks for the teams that, you know, they have to send out their players in the middle of the year. Someone's going to get hurt. But it's also such a unique and powerful opportunity to grow the game. And I'm still just kind of amazed it took this long. Yeah, I am amazed too. And I know the players, I wouldn't use the word amazed. I would say frustrated and disgruntled. So many players, some great players of our generation missed out on their prime years of getting to represent their country. And there were some combinations of players getting to play together that we as fans were robbed of, they as players were robbed of. They fought so hard for this in the last negotiation uh, with the PA and the league for the new CBA. Unfortunately, last Olympics just fell in COVID and there was an easy excuse for the NHL to opt out. The NHL was always just looking for excuses to opt out because the owners don't really get a benefit from it or they don't see the benefit, which I think is short-sighted because they're, like you said, so much added exposure and eyeballs. They get to see Olympic hockey that might not necessarily tune into the regular season NHL. We could introduce them to start like Austin Matthews, like the Hughes brothers here in the U.S. So the fact that they're going out back is fantastic. The fact that it's guaranteed that we've said it is fantastic. And I'm also really glad that the NHL has done something with the union to bring back a World Cup of hockey. And it's going to be called the Four Nations Showcase. It's in lieu of an all-star game next year, but we're going to get U.S., Canada, Sweden, Finland, all facing off over two weekends. Um, it's going to be spectacular, I think. The only problem is they did have to admit a lot of countries like Czechia, like Germany, like Switzerland. Part of it is because they don't really know what to do with the Russian players. And really, these are the four teams that we know we can field full rosters. But players like David Posternock, it's unfortunate for because he's like, this sucks. I'm amazing. I love my country. I want to represent them. And I'm not going to even watch this event. So we get a mini showcase then next year in 2024. And then the full showcase in 2026. Yeah. And I feel like um, it's just a natural growth to have those things. I feel like the World Baseball Classic in some ways, even though that kind of the last one was the only one that really felt like the fully realized version of it. But it just shows you what can happen when you let players represent their countries. Because, yeah, they 
it's like it's another of those experiences like the olympics you know like like an all-star game where it's like this unique thing that they really cherish and and you can really feel that as you're watching totally and like a great example is like Connor mcdavid is the best player in the game and he's also probably the most stereotypical hockey player in that he really neuters his personality publicly you never see him say anything too controversial you never so hard to juice any emotion out of him the most emotional I've ever seen him and the biggest opinion I've ever seen him express was right after that world baseball classic, basically saying it is an embarrassment that we don't get to do this too. Um, So the fact that players like him have fought behind the scenes to finally get it, I think shows just how important it is, how much pride they take in these type of events. Awkward transition. But speaking of controversies, um, the NHL's had a couple this year. Um, In the beginning there, beginning of the year, there is the pride tape issue where they banned players from wearing rainbow tape on their sticks to, you know, want to support the LGBTQ community. Um, and then some players did it anyway, and they NHL backtracked. Uh, so there's that. There's also the very uh, different incidents um, from dating back to 2018. There's a sexual assault case still going on. Five players are implicated. They're currently on leave. Anyway, um, two very different things. But these are the sorts of cases that test a league in often in ways they're not really ready for. Um, and I'm wondering if you've learned anything about the NHL from just how it's dealt with these. Yeah, I think the problem when we talk about these issues is we always come back to this question of what is hockey culture? And we often blame some of the ways that the league acts on hockey culture. So in the terms of pride tape, it's, well, it's just such a culture of conformity. We never want to single anyone out. Well, that's okay, but we keep talking about growing the game and growing the game means being inclusive. And even though you're trying to not offend any of your players who might not feel this way, you're actually really alienating an entire population of people that we want to be hockey fans. We have to think about that in terms of the way that they handle the sexual assault case. It's, oh, well, this is hockey culture not to speak up on issues like this and sweep it under the rug so the guys can keep playing. And the truth is we've had so many of these incidents. We need to learn from them and move on from them. And the Hockey Canada one is kind of tough for the NHL because it happened outside of their jurisdiction. This happened before the players were in the league. Um, They are under contract now, so it's delicate there. I guess the thing that I've learned is that the NHL handles each of these just on a case-by-case basis. Unlike any of the other leagues, there's no domestic violence policy blanket of this is what happens when a case like this happens. It all comes to Gary Bettman's desk. And so in each of these cases, anytime there's a scandal, it feels like a new news cycle that the NHL has to navigate through because reporters and fans are saying, okay, well, what's the playbook for this? And in each one, it feels like they kind of have to make it up as they go. And I think that's why the stories sometimes balloon bigger than they need to. Yeah, I mean... I feel like the, with the pride tape one, it just, that felt like a self-made crisis where they, you know, I, I get that they have conservative players and like, it's going to be awkward one way or another, but I feel like they created a precedent where players can, can wear the, the rainbow tape on their sticks. And then to take it away, just felt like it was drawing more attention than it would have gotten. I, I assume they would play it differently if they were able to do that all again, given that the band got a lot more attention than, than probably anything else would have. I like to think so. I like to think in hindsight, they would have realized, you know what, this was a misstep. We overreacted and overreached on our power. And in turn really alienated a lot of people and made a lot of steps back because behind the scenes hockey has actually been one of the 
sports and the NHL has been one of the leagues that has been really open to the LGBTQ plus IA community. And they've done so much great work with hockey is for everyone. Um, and all of these different organizations and there's players like Scott Lawton in Philadelphia and um, Morgan Riley and a lot of the players in Toronto that have done great community outreach, but it's all overshadowed by some of these league decisions that paint hockey players and hockey culture one brush. That's not the brush that everyone wants to be painted with. So I do think that what they did this fall was a misstep and Hopefully, if it happens again, uh, we'll learn from that and be able to showcase the things that actually matter, which is the grassroots work in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And on that growing the game part of things, um, you know, we're seeing just a lot of general growth in sports. The NFL is huge. College football is, is huge. MLB had a bounce back year in the regular season, though not the playoffs. Anyway, is, does that story, um, is the NHL part of that general growth story? I think so. I think that in so many ways, hockey has made great steps of being um, more accessible, more visible, you know, being partners with ESPN. Maybe this is a little uh, too navel gazing, but I think we've brought hockey to a larger audience and it's on in sports bars and airports and um, hotel rooms that it might not have been in the past. Um, I do think we are becoming slightly more diverse. I think that still uh, the whole sport of hockey is just not reflective of general society in the way that it probably should be. And there's so many different reasons for that. Um, but we're, we're getting there. We're, we're slowly making up ground. And I love to think that um, one day we'll be on par with the NFL or the NBA, but those sports just feel like they are behemoths and inherently hockey is just a little bit more of a niche sport, but we're growing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Gary Bettman's signaled some willingness to expand in recent years to add teams. Do you think that's going to happen at some point in the nearest future? I do. I just think that the money is too tempting for these NHL owners. They saw the jump from $500 million expansion fee to Vegas to $650 million to Seattle just a few years later. And then all of a sudden, Ottawa sells as a franchise. And despite the Canadian dollar being weak, despite it being just yet another franchise in Canada, $950 million, you say, what could you get here in the US? Uh, There's a very willing ownership group in Utah. It is Ryan Smith, who's the owner of the Jazz now. He's also an MLS Real uh, Salt Lake. And he has struck up a partnership, a trust with Gary Bettman, um, or friendship rather, that he says, I'm in my early 40s. I'm active in the tech world. I have a vibrant emerging market in Utah. Why don't you come here? And that seems like an inevitability, whether it's in relocation or expansion. But I do think that these owners are going to see some of the valuations for potential new franchises and say, yeah, we want to do that. We want to get more uh, pieces to our pie. And so I think hockey will continue to grow in that way. Yeah, and I feel like these these teams always come in pairs, whether it's the same year or back to back. So if Utah gets one, any guesses on the the other one? You know, there's an ownership group in Atlanta that's been doing a lot of work behind the scenes. That's a potential. That's a possibility. I know the NHL has failed there, um, but. It is a market that I think excites them and and always, you know, there's unfinished business attitude um, with Gary Bettman or point of pride of correcting past mistakes. I think Houston has been toyed with a little bit. Kansas City has shown um, some interest there. I don't think the next franchise that was going to come in Canada, I know Quebec City is always uh, hankering for one, but I just think there's an oversaturation in that market and the Montreal Canadiens, one of, you know, the original six franchises might have something to say about having to share their market with another new team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you, you threw out the word relocation talking about Utah. Are the Coyotes, I mean, Batman just seems determined to make it work there. Um, do, do you think they stick around in Arizona ultimately? 
This one's really challenging because Gary Bettman, if you know anything about him, Arizona's his baby. It was his Sunbelt baby and he just doesn't want to let his baby go and he doesn't want to admit mistake. And I don't think putting a team there is a mistake because it is one of the fastest growing markets in the entire United States. And there's so much potential there. The greatest American player right now is Austin Matthews. He was born there. He is their ambassador. So he's exercised so much patience to make it work. I think He's getting frustrated with this ownership group because he's saying, I've given you all this latitude. Where is this new arena you promised? This is not a long-term feasible option to play out of a college rink, which is what they're doing now. So something's going to come to a head. Either they figure out a new ownership group, either they figure out a way to put this team in a better position to get this new arena, or they move them. But if the team does get moved out of Arizona, I feel confident that once we start talking about different markets, Arizona then rises to number one on the NHL's list. And I do think that eventually they would come back there because it's just too tempting not to yeah well um and if the league could you know magic wand nhl success on ice success onto any particular team do you think there's a market you know that has a team that it would like to see grow through some actual you know winning hockey yeah you know that's a complicated one you're asking me if i know the nhl script and if i'm willing to release the answer here of uh Who's going to get awarded one? I kid. Um, you know, obviously, it's always good for the NHL when their big market teams do well. It's always good for the media partners as well. Um, as the New York Rangers had success in 1994, that's a really long time ago. I think that it would be good for everyone's pockets if the New York Rangers did well. That's not to say that uh, the marionette strings are pulling it that way, but a team like that. Also, Seattle, you know, they've done such a great job, just like Vegas, of growing that market authentically. It was a hockey market. It has now become so much more of a hockey market. The youth numbers there are just astounding of how it's growing from the grassroots up. Um, they got the showcase in the Winter Classic, but if they were to win a cup in the next few years, I don't think anyone would look the other way. I think people would get pretty excited about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Last one. It feels too early for cup predictions, but uh, what's what's a team or two that you you see as dangerous? Who do you not want to meet in the playoffs? Mm, that's a great question. Um, the Edmonton Oilers, I mentioned them earlier. It just feels like this inevitability that Connor McDavid is going to get a Stanley Cup soon. Let's hope, um, because that's great for the sport as well. And the way that they've been clicking under their new coach uh, is very promising. The Colorado Avalanche, the MVP candidate right now, uh, the leader is Nathan McKinnon. You know, when I came in to start covering the league, he was the guy that was on the best bargain. He was the guy that was just so impatient to win, couldn't believe why his team wasn't taking the next step. And then the Avs win the cup and then locked an even more dominant player. And the tandem of he and Kale McCarr are probably the two most dynamite players in the entire league together. So I wouldn't want to play them in the West. And then in the East, Boston is a team we cover a lot at ESPN. I just think from their goaltending uh, to the veteran leaderships, and they now have enough young players stepping up and underrated star players like Charlie McAvoy, David Posternock just still doesn't get talked about enough. They seem like a team that, especially because of what happened to them last year, getting completely disappointed in that first round. They've learned their lessons. And with Jim Montgomery, who many believe to be the brightest coach in the game, um, probably are due. Emily Kaplan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Owen. That is it for today. Send an episode to a friend and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.